Chelsea Fairless. And I miss you, Chelsea. It has been a whole week since I have seen you. You are in Northern California. How's it going? I'm in San Francisco specifically. <laughs> Not just a nebulous region. Um, Yeah, it's good. I just stopped over for the night on my road trip from NorCal to LA. And, uh, and yeah, it's good. You know that Kelly Wurstler designed this hotel room because there's like 50 kinds of clashing wallpaper in a single room. Wow. Yeah, I didn't want to dox you. That's why I gave the general <laughs> area of Northern California. Life is good. How are you? I'm good. Do I look different because I had Clear and Brilliant done and this is supposed to be the low recovery time? They're like, it's no downtime. Wait, what the fuck is that? Is that like Kybella or something? No. <laughs> Yes, I had injections to have the fat in my neck reduced. No, Sorry, you were motioning towards your jawline. I was like, your jawline was snatched before. You don't need Kybella, bitch. Clear and Brilliant is the less serious version of Fraxel. It's essentially a laser resurfacing treatment to deal with some some hyperpigmentation and acne. But I love how they're like, it's no downtime. You can literally wear makeup the next day. It's like, no, you fucking can't. It's three days later. My skin feels like sandpaper it's fine i look like i just have a suntan but i don't know why they say these lies it's a week you know how in japan they have those photo booths that make you look like a little baby (laughs) it's giving that with the rosy cheeks yeah so as you may have guessed dear fuckettes we are not in new york for the sex of the city experience no, no, but we've been following it online, um, as you have, I'm sure. It looked pretty cute. Yeah, I mean, I asked a few people to call in to be boots on the ground, but thus far no one has done such a thing. I like the part with all of the outfits that Molly and Danny curated. There are some good ones. Like, I like that they had the Heidi picnic outfit from season two, I think. Pretty iconic. Yeah. But what I want is the behind the scenes video of them yet again going to Sarah Jessica Parker's storage unit to get these costumes out of storage to display them. Yeah. Because that's where they live, guys. Yeah, we need part two of the end, just like that documentary, our favorite film of last year. So speaking of... And just like that, I think we've had time to sit with the Kim Cattrall is coming back to Sex and the City news. We did talk about this on a Patreon episode we put up last week. But I think the gravity of the fact that she had conditions where she would not speak to the cast members or Michael Patrick King. And this seems to be a choice that was above even Daddy MPK has finally reached us. And it's incredible. Yeah, I didn't notice this detail when I first read the Variety article, but it said that Casey Bloys, who is the CEO of HBO and Max, approached Kim directly, which we have to assume that he went over SJP and Daddy MPK's heads, which is really rude but i guess he's the only person in this situation that's more powerful than them but then my question is it's not a silent cameo who wrote her dialogue chat gpt (laughs) i know 
It's so weird. Is this why the studios won't let AI go during the writer's strike contract negotiations? They're like, we may need to bring stars back who won't talk to the showrunners anymore, and we have to write their dialogue somehow. (laughs) Uh, It's just so crazy, but this makes me wonder about where SJP is at going into season three, because I would be pissed and threatening to not come back. Not because of Kim coming back necessarily, but because of the fact that they did it behind their backs. I don't know. Something tells me if they were like, but we'll give you $2 million an episode for season three, she'd be like, I'm over it. Yeah. Should we talk about the interview that Kim gave to the Sunday Times? I would love to. I will just say, you're going to have to tell me about this because... It is paywalled, and I'm totally fine with paying with the paywall, but where I got stopped was that you have to contact customer service in order to cancel. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Oh, fuck. I signed up. I had to read it. (laughs) God damn it. I'm going to have to contact customer service. Okay, I'm sorry, but these people are fucked. (laughs) Like, I understand paywalled content i do think they should give me one free article though one free article for christ's sakes um there wasn't a lot of big revelations but one thing that was funny is that the writer decca aikenhead was obviously annoyed in the beginning of the piece because she was like they tell me i can't ask any questions about and just like that and then by the time this article actually comes out two weeks after i've conducted the interview it's like been announced that she's back on and just like that but the only thing i really learned is that kim cattrall is like a hardcore royalist like she's like really into watching the coronation and like she's very like God save the queen vibes, which I guess makes sense because she was born in Britain and raised in Canada. But I did not know that about her. That's the irony of the Annabelle Bronstein episode is that Kim can actually do a very good British accent because she was born there and has spent a lot of time there. But I think the most noteworthy thing about this was the photo shoot, which you did see, presumably. Of course. We got Scaparelli, most importantly, those Marc Jacobs platform boots. Someone in the Sex and the City universe had to wear them, and I'm really glad that it's her. So yeah, excellent styling by Lucy Gaston, who is the market director at Interview. She looks amazing. Okay, but did you go in our DMs because... The Sunday Times forced us to take those images off of our Instagram account. I didn't know if you wanted to bring this up, but yes, I did see that exchange and we did have to warn a fellow uh, Instagrammer who posts a lot of editorials as well. I've just never had a magazine ask me to take images down. To be fair, they were like, here are images you can post though. Okay, those were not postable. Are you kidding? Okay, I want to just say the images that were... (laughs) approved for posting had you can't even call it a watermark because the watermark is so big that it could be a masthead and it's also not transparent which is the definition of a watermark and also i would never think that this was from the sunday uk times that's because you can't read the words the sunday times it just says style i know like even if you saw that you would never be able to find the source of these images 
like it makes you wonder like how long we're even going to be able to feasibly operate the Instagram account. We're not. We were already sent a retroactive cease and desist and licensing fee that we were able to talk down. But yeah, it's getting scary out there. And a lot of our friends who have big followings have been sued and have had to pay out tens of thousands of dollars. And yeah, it just makes you wonder how much longer. Well, but this is the new version of what was it like patent sitting? It's like people that would buy patents before people could invent them and just like sue other people. That's really what it is, is it's just... They're not even doing it because it's like, hey, you're taking money out of my hands. It's these like third parties that just know that they can get tens of thousands of dollars because what they're holding against you is your Instagram, which as sad as it is to say, is unfortunately some of our livelihoods. It sucks. I think the thing that is most frustrating to me is that there isn't a pathway for us to actually pay people. You know what I mean? Like we can't just pay someone like 50 bucks to post an image or a hundred bucks or something reasonable. You know, it's not like it's going into print or something. Right. I mean, and we've licensed. Wow, this is getting like really into the weeds. But we have licensed photos. And just so you guys know, like th the cheapest it could possibly cost is like 450 bucks an image. And you only get the license for a year. That's like Getty. Anyway. Anyway, digression. So Kim did this interview because she is not promoting and just like that. She is promoting her new Netflix show, which is called Glamorous. Okay, this is really crazy because the trailer for Glamorous dropped on June 6th, which is the 25th anniversary of Sex in the City, and the show itself comes out on the 22nd, which is when And Just Like That premieres. So someone in the marketing department of Netflix is ruthless and is Team Kim. <laughs> is ruthless and sinister. Like, it's so crazy to choose to do this, but I get it, I guess. I know. What sinister gay pitched this to Ted Sarandos? He's like, hey, hey, I know that we're going up against HBO and Max, but I got a great idea. This is our version of Barbie and Oppenheimer being released on the same day. <laughs> so true. So this show is basically about a like young gender non-conforming guy who's like some sort of beauty youtuber who comes to work for kim cattrall who is this former supermodel turned estee lauder-esque beauty mogul it's giving ugly betty it's giving devil wears prada but it doesn't seem like anyone's actually that mean no, it seems like the biggest <laughs> dilemma is you're showing her too much of a good time. Yeah, like the gag is the workplace culture isn't even toxic at all. But one thing I did learn from that article was that they said that Patricia Field was Kim's quote unquote stylist on Glamorous, which leads me to believe that she just dressed Kim because according to IMDb, there is a fully separate costume designer. But it kind of makes sense when you see the way that she's dressed. And I like the idea that Kim looks to Patricia Field and is like, this is my person. It is kind of like unprecedented though, right? I mean, it is and it isn't. You do have 
fashion designers doing costumes for one particular actress. Like I think about Michael Kors doing Rene Russo's costumes for the Thomas Crown Affair remake. So there's been versions of True, this, but-, but that's a fashion designer, not a stylist. Like this costume designer would have been facilitating that. No, for sure. I wonder what that dynamic is if Patricia Field is giving references to the costumer or pulled Kim's clothing literally and put her in the outfits. Because usually how it goes on film sets is there is a costume designer, but under them is many wardrobe people who are actually really doing the work. Totally. But I bet Pat Field could get stuff that they couldn't get. Obviously, the aesthetic of the show is taking a lot from Devil Wears Prada, of which Patricia Field was the costume designer. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll obviously be watching Glamorous. After and just like that. <laughs> After and just like that. I'm excited to see Kim play like, because she seems like kind of like an Alexis Carrington-esque like boss bitch character. And I like that for her. Although, I don't know. Based on this trailer, I wasn't like... I can't wait to see this show. Yeah, it's a defanged version of Dynasty. Yeah. Well, we have some controversial news. Is it time to get into it? Sure. So I'm not sure, given your love of Taylor Swift, how we're now just discussing her relationship with Maddie Healy. I guess it's because that relationship has now ended, or maybe it hasn't. I don't know. There's conflicting stories. Well, we haven't talked about it because I refused to talk about it the last time. I honestly, I'm so profoundly uninterested in Maddie Healy as an artist and a person. And I didn't want to have to spend the time doing the research to figure out like if he's as problematic as people are saying he is. And you know what? I still don't know. I did not do this research. So let me know. What's the vibe? So yes, her fans were very mad at her because she was seeing a new man. This man is... Maddie Healy, the front man of a band called the 1975. I'm acting like I've never heard of this band because I hadn't before. Given a few interview clips I've seen of him, I thought maybe they were like a millennial oasis. Chell, have you ever heard the 1975's music? Yes, and I don't like it, but I understand why Taylor Swift is into it because it's very like her, it's very like 80s poppy like that vibe like kind of jack antonoff adjacent in certain respects but given his persona that i had seen in interviews i thought that the music would have some kind of edge to it it has no edge to it they're like a gen z cold play yeah it is kind of cold play yeah i really really don't get it so he's basically an edgelord is what i'm getting like he just says provocative things okay but did he really like do a Nazi salute at one of his concerts because I couldn't find video of it. I just found an ambiguous blurry photo. So I'm just like, again, I can't tell like how fucked up this guy actually is. Yeah, the bulk of his tweet-worthy controversies come from an appearance on the Adam Friedland Show, formerly known as the Come Town Podcast, where he and the host Nick Mullen and Adam Friedland mocked Ice Spice and Healy laughed as Freeland and Mullen mimicked Chinese and Hawaiian accents. But he didn't personally mimic y- yes. the accents. I'm not saying that laughing at that isn't racist. I'm just saying I do think there's a distinction. And there was a lack of that specificity when that was going around on Twitter. Also, Mullen and Freeland tell a story about walking into Healy's apartment and the h- hardcore porn channel Ghetto Gaggers was on in the background. What is fucked up about this particular porn site? I'm not 
going to say how I've come to watch this porn channel, but it's... (laughs) Okay. Wow. I'm glad that you're putting in the, putting in the labor. I won't even Google this shit. Lauren's like subscribing to what is it called? Don't make me say it again. It's ghetto gaggers. Okay. You're subscribing to ghetto gaggers. It is some of the worst shit I have ever seen. The whole premise is brutalizing women of color who very much do not want to be there. They're acting like they don't want to be there though, right? Like it's not literal rape, right? It's porn. It's however distasteful. I'm not defending ghetto gaggers. I'm just, I'm just (laughs) trying to, I'm just trying to get a read on this situation again. It feels like desperate women who want the money. I'm not saying that it's not, unconsensual but i'm also not sure how consensual it is right 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 okay so not a cute look at the very least suffice to say taylor's fans were outraged that she would date someone like this even the 1975 fans of his when this podcast came out were shocked that he was like this but i think in regards to taylor it opened up this much larger conversation about the parasocial relationship that Taylor's fans have with her. It's true. We do. We do have a parasocial relationship. I'm part of the problem. Because they they seem to not grasp that sometimes you need irresponsible bad dick to get over a great love. And she's already, like, dumped him if they were even dating to begin with. Yeah. Or not Johnson. We don't know what happened, but they're not together. They're not a couple. Or maybe they are. He's on tour in Europe. She's on tour in America. Again, her fans, which I will exclude you from this because most of her fans don't seem to understand, like, you can just have a fuck buddy. I guess Taylor doesn't have a lot of songs about that. I think she should. I mean, that was our hope for Midnight's was that it was going to be this Tori Amos, Fiona Apple-esque. Well, Midnight's had some bops. And you know what? She just keeps releasing new versions of Midnight. So it's possible that we could get that album eventually. Okay, I I do want to get into this because Taylor brought Ice Spice on stage to do at their Karma remix, which people thought was a ploy to help her boyfriend like a race or make people forget about his quote unquote racist comments against the rapper, which like makes no sense intellectually (laughs) at all. It's like, okay, first of all, what's that phone call? Like, like, Oh, I'm sorry. This guy that I'm fucking laughed at racist comments about you. Do you want to like guest on my new single? Like that makes no sense. Also, it's like, it would be one thing if she just dropped the remix of karma, but There was a music video, a music video that was likely filmed months ago. So I have questions about the plot and themes of this music video. (laughs) Isn't it crazy how much that one part looks like the third act of Bo is Afraid? I mean, I haven't seen it, but I'll, I'll go with you on that. Even based on the trailer, though. Oh, yeah. But my my biggest question is. What What is Ice Spice and Taylor lassoing two planets supposed to represent? I have no idea. I mean, this whole music video is about how, like, you know, the dark can't exist without the light and karma is like, uh, I don't fucking know. What, what the fuck am I even talking about? I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why any of this is happening. I did love the part where Taylor was the mountain and Ice Spice was the sky. That made me feel like I was on drugs. That's what I was going to say. It's like, maybe this is Taylor's acid era. (laughs) 
also like can we just talk about like the song itself because like uh like i like ice spice generally like munch is a bop but like it's crazy how bad her verse is on this song and how much it does not work with the song and then when you add in like the weird like like you know the part where taylor's like karma brings all my friends to the summit and then she's like facts (laughs) yeah it's like I guess it has its own tragic camp value. You know what? Now I'm thinking Taylor Swift maybe did do this music video in the last week and a half, and this was trying to help <laughs> out Maddie Healy. So, Chell, this was on Midnight's parentheses, the Till Dawn edition. How many editions of this record have come out and do you suspect will come out? I have no clue, but I do think that the Karma remix and this controversy is really taking away from the fact that on this new edition, there was also an updated version of Snow on the Beach with even more Lana Del Rey. And that's the song that's actually good. That's the song and music video we want. I like this thing, like between this and the 10 minute version of All Too Well, I like when she improves upon her past songs. <laughs> when she's like, you know what? That song was good, but it could be better. Do you think we should start incorporating that into the podcast? Like, we go back to an episode from June. Oh, God. I don't ever want to even think about that. That's terrible. The fact that anyone even listens to old episodes is, like, something that keeps me up at night. We're like, you know what? We could have done that Clueless episode better. Re-record. Oh, God. Today's episode is brought to you by Honey Love. Honey Love is creating shapewear that is actually comfortable. Imagine that. We all have problem areas and mine are my thighs. When wearing dresses out, I've always been a big fan of a short. Bike short, shapewear short, and their super power short is the best I've tried. It has this X shape that sculpts your midsection without flattening out your curves. It also has these boost bands at the back of the thigh that make your butt look incredible. It is June. Wedding season is upon us, which means months of wearing various unlined dresses. Why does nothing have lining anymore? I do not know, but with Honeylove, you don't have to worry. Honeylove has revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. Also, Honeylove has figured out, for lack of a better phrase, a pee hole. We've all been there, stuck in uncomfortable shapewear that we have to rip off of our bodies to be able to use the bathroom. Well, with Honeylove, that is a thing of the past. And Honeylove doesn't just do sculpt wear. They have incredibly comfortable bras, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. If this sounds fabulous to you, they have an exclusive offer. Get 20% off your entire order with the code outfit at honeylove.com. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com and use the code outfit. Um. Anyway, shall we get into the television event of the season? The first episode of The Idol. What are your thoughts? Is it torture porn? As Oh, fuck. Hold on. My room service is here. It was housekeeping. Fuck. I want my coffee. Anyway. <laughs> um, is it torture porn? So, Chell, my feelings about the idol might shock you. I didn't hate it. Yeah, me neither. The idol's <laughs> fucking good. Everyone has lost their goddamn minds. No, no Chell. 
There is an asterisk, which is the idol is for a show for people who count showgirls among their favorite films, who get excited when Eli Roth appears on screen in an acting role, and will watch something just because Jane Addams is in something, and we are those people. We are absolutely those people. Oh, wait, I think this is actually my food. <laughs> Yeah, come in. Sorry, he's frozen. Queen, come on. Let's go. Let's get out of the nice man's way. Come on. Get in here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Thank you. Oh, fuck. Okay, I'm back with a coffee and a mimosa. Yeah, you want to tell the fuck that's what your room service breakfast order is? I don't think anyone cares. I just got like a continental breakfast. I just got like scrambled eggs and turkey sausage and whatever. I'll eat that later. We have more important things to discuss. I think one thing about the idol that is worth noting is that it is clearly a satire and no one seems to be responding to it like it is one. Like it reminded me of Entourage a lot, like the first part of it in particular, the first scene where she's like doing the photo shoot and filming her music video or doing the dance rehearsals. So here's what I was going to say. The other asterisk about the idol is the part that I think is the strongest is unfortunately what I believe the show isn't about. Her entourage of publicists and PR people and that whole scene in the beginning is the funniest most satirical and interesting part of the show. Unfortunately, I think it's mostly going to be about the weekends. Yeah, the weekend sucks. The weekend is the weak link in the idol, unfortunately. Um, he cannot act. And that's not even the biggest problem. I think the problem is more of the vibes variety, if that makes any sense. Because I get that he's supposed to be a creep and like is some sort of like sexual sadist slash like cult leader apparently, but like there's nothing hot about him. So it's impossible for us, the viewer to understand like why this is happening. And I don't mean physically. I think he's a hot guy. It's just this character is a deeply unhot person. He has to not have the rat tail. Yeah. At the very least, this is something <laughs> That is the hardest buy-in, which is I don't think Lily Rose Depp as Jocelyn, as self-loathing as she is and seemingly a sexual masochist, that she would fuck a club promoter with a rat tail. Absolutely not. Would she get fingered by him in a stairwell as she begins to do in that scene? Yes. Would she then invite him over? I doubt. But here's the thing is that house is the weekend's home, which he spent $70 million to buy a Bel Air mansion to then retrofit to look like Michael Mann's wet dream of a home. Yes, the house adds a lot. That adds a level of authenticity that we do not often get in TV shows. The house and knowing it's The Weeknd's made me realize like, oh, I think that The Weeknd is a Michael Mann head because his look, like that long trench coat, the rat tail, it's truly like every Michael Mann film character from Miami Vice to Collateral just like mashed together. Yeah, you're totally right. There's a lot, I mean, beyond the parallels to Showgirls, which there are many, uh, same goes to Entourage. It's like, yeah, this is obviously modeled after shitty erotic thrillers you know basic instinct the red shoe diaries is very deliberately 
referencing those kinds of movies. This show has the same problems that Showgirls has, which is you have Joe Esterhouse, who wrote Basic Instinct, of which there is a scene where they're just watching Basic Instinct. On the nose, but we get it. Also, Rachel Sennett, genius. The casting of this team is exceptional. The writing for the team is exceptional. It's fucking hilarious. Jane Adams' bit about why mental illness is sexy is like the most on-point, hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life. But there are people who just think that bringing up the words mental health is unfunny. And that's the demarcation line. It's a satire. It's making fun of evil people in the entertainment industry. Don't take what they say at face value. This reminds me of the way that people reacted to girls, which is like acting as if these people were not written as parodies of, you know, young narcissistic Brooklynites. Right. But to go back to my point, I think the idol is going to have the same tension that makes showgirls showgirls. But Joe Esterhouse, who wrote Basic Instinct, then went on to write showgirls, wanted to tell this searing indictment of how women are treated in the Vegas showgirl scene. And then Verhoeven wanted to do a parody about the nature of sex and sex on screen. Here's the thing, though. I'm not sure The Idol is a comedy. At the very least, The Weeknd is not in a comedy. No, that is not a comedy. It's almost like two separate shows. There's the sinister spooky erotic thriller and then there's the entourage style ensemble black comedy part of it which is the best part i have a question for you do you think the plot line with the photo of jocelyn having come on her face and that leaking is a nod to the infamous jennifer lawrence picture from the fappening of course it is it might i mention like not that i've seen those photos because that would be fucked up but this photo, definitely not as bad. No, but that's what I was going to say. Or is it a nod to Perez Hilton's OG blogger drawings where he just had like a little bit of jizz on someone's face? No, I took that to be a reference to Jennifer Lawrence. In reading about this show, most journalists are comparing her to Britney Spears or perhaps Miley Cyrus. But I feel that the pop star that she is actually modeled on is Selena Gomez. That is what the Selena Nanders think. Although when I was watching it, I was like, Demi Lovato watched this and was like, this is real. Right. You know, yeah, Demi too. But in the case of Selena, it's like she did have a nervous breakdown. Also, remember when, I don't know if it was a music video or a photo shoot, but remember when Petra Collins took those photos of her with a hospital bracelet? Right. That there was then this uproar about glamorizing mental illness and perhaps self-harm. Which I think the hospital bracelet was just from a time where she was getting treated for lupus. But still, that was the controversy, and that is referenced in this episode. And also the connective tissue is The weekend and Selena Gomez used to date. Right, right. So this is like his demented fantasy about Selena Gomez, I'm guessing. Yeah, and Sam Levinson wanting to do a commentary about Paul Verhoeven's oeuvre, I think. Honestly, pretty into it. Great music also. Love the like a prayer usage. I would hope that given the weekend's involvement, at the very least, the show would have good music and a good music supervisor. Well, also, can we talk about Jocelyn's, like, bop, I'm a Freak? Because that song is great. Uh, yeah, I don't know why she has an issue with this song. It's, like, very clearly, like, good 
Is that on Spotify yet? Because I would listen to that in my car. The other thing I want to discuss is seeing that 80% of the show was reshot. If I were Sam Levinson and I saw Triangle of Sadness last winter, I would have said one more reshoot because that opening scene is giving me show me Balenciaga, show me H&M face. No, it's it's different enough. The opening is perfect, I think. Also, can we talk about how beautiful this show is? Yeah. Like, it looks incredible. Say what you want about Sam Levinson, like, especially that opening scene, how it... it hands out from this sort of tight crop of her face and then you realize that she is in some sort of like David LaChapelle or like Mark Seliger for Rolling Stone like photo shoot of her in some sort of like you know debaucherous scenario where there's like bottles of alcohol everywhere and she has her tits out very like the Rolling Stone hot issue vibes do you remember that of course but also just from a filmmaking standpoint that's all one shot, which is also very impressive. So, like, you can shit on Sam Levinson, but his complicated wonders that he does in Euphoria and this are impressive. And you can't take that away from him. Yeah. Also, we mentioned Jane Adams, who I guess if we were in this world, would we be her? I don't know. She's just so up our alley. Rachel Senate. Rachel Senate. Again, as someone that was a personal assistant to... A celebrity, I definitely, I I was Rachel said it. (laughs) I also do relate to Dan Levy, though, just like in general. I think he's really great on this show. Also, like, how have we not mentioned Hank Azaria? Iconic. Hank Azaria doing an accent? Say less. (laughs) I'm sorry, but the whole thing, as someone that just shot an erotic thriller that had an intimacy coordinator, of which I had a great relationship with them, but I did find it amusing Because I thought the two best satirical pieces that felt modern was the Jocelyn being okay with being nude, but the intimacy coordinator being like, well, she'd signed a nudity writer and she's literally giving her consent. And then Hank Azaria shoves them in a closet and pays someone, what was it, three grand, five grand to hold the door for three hours. So, so good. I also thought the other realist commentary, and I can't believe we haven't talked about Hari Neff yet, but Hari Neff's journalist character and how she and Lily Rose Depp, the Jocelyn character, keep shutting off the recorder. Yes. To have a real talk about like what you're trying to do to me as a journalist. That was a really, really brilliant scene. And Hari is so good on this show. There's something kind of Altman-esque actually about this. Like it's dark and twisted, but it is giving that. And she could be in one of those movies, this character. Yeah, if you kind of dig the idol and enjoy recommendations from us, I would say the closest Altman film would be The Player, which was after decades of Altman being fucked over by Hollywood, he does this pitch black comedy about the industry. Kari could be in Pret-a-Porter also, for sure. Oh, that's right. Also, the player does have a very famous, I think it's a seven minute all in one take runner that goes around the studio. Yeah, so incredible. Such a good movie. I feel like we should mention excellent costuming on the show by Natasha Newman Thomas. Lily Rose Depp in particular, I think is great because Her clothes are reflective of the times that we live in, which does not always happen, especially when someone's costuming a pop star. But it also harks back to 
that kind of erotic thriller, basic instinct, indecent proposal vibe. Like that red like robe that she wears that she ultimately gets strangled with. Like that look is very, very of uh, 1995, but in a good way. Well, I watched the behind the scenes making of that and she was talking about they custom made that robe because there's a lace cut out sheer lace panel yeah where you can see her thong through it it's it's incredible it's it's stunning and i think the costuming adds so much i do think the costuming is making people mad you know (laughs) because lily rose depp's body is very on display it's because of the way that this show is shot and it's because of the costuming but i mean i'm not mad at it honestly like let this show just be as sleazy as it wants to be that is the thing that i don't think people understand and maybe it's because of the product the generation we grew up in but this show is raunchy and sleazy and I missed that I miss it too I'm interested to see where this goes oh spoiler alert not in a good place (laughs) it's going to be mostly focused on the weekend and I predict we are going to lose interest okay but we haven't seen it yet again To bring it back to my point, I do not think we should judge things that we haven't seen. I do not want to participate in this sort of internet culture of everyone having these very specific fully formed opinions before they've even seen the thing. We don't need to do that here on the Every Outfit Pod. Okay, but I'm going to guess it's going to be more focused on the weekend just by the nature of this story. But hey, maybe he becomes a better actor as the episodes go on. Let's let's be positive, Chell. The fact that he can't act isn't even the worst part of it because in these sorts of movies, like A Basic Instinct, there's always someone that's a terrible actor <laughs> and someone else that's trying to elevate the material. Yeah. Showgirls is a perfect example of this. The actors are in different movies. Yeah. Kyle MacLachlan's doing one thing. Elizabeth Berkley's doing one thing. You know, Gina Gershon is has figured out what movie she's in, which is why we love her. But I feel like the bad acting could be passably fine if not for the fact that the vibes are so off. Does he have veneers? There's something going on that's unsettling. What do you mean? His face, he's gotten so much, he's so worked over, Lauren. Like, he's gotten, he looks like a yassified version of himself. (laughs) And I understand it, like, I again, not shading anyone for getting plastic surgery, you know, especially you with your recent Kybella. <laughs> it's not Kybella, it's clear and brilliant. No, I get it. Look, who among us hasn't lasered off several layers of their face? And look, like, men get to feel pressure to look a certain way also. Like, of course they do. And I understand why any, like, any celebrity's appearance is scrutinized. So I never judge them when they get, like, dramatic plastic surgery. But it's weird. Like, when I saw him at Cannes, I was like, whoa, that's a new face. Good job with the new face. Good face. Face on point. Acting, no. I don't even know how we're going to transition into this next topic. Good luck, Chell. I'll leave that to you. Okay, so it's June. It's Pride Month. And Target has been at the center of a controversy regarding their Pride merch. And Target can't really win because for the last few years, Target has been ridiculed by like 
every gay person on the internet for their pride merch. Like this year, everyone made fun of the live, laugh, lesbian shirt, which in retrospect, I'm very sad I didn't buy. But this year, Target got a lot of backlash from homophobic, transphobic customers that just do not want to see this crazy pride display in the front of the store. And like people have been filming like really unhinged TikToks and like screaming at sales associates and basically just having like little tantrums in the store. Right. But then there was also this false story that they had tuck friendly swimwear in the children's section, which wasn't true. It was in the adult section. Yeah. Like some like whack job, like moved it into the children's section just to like make a TikTok about it. Basically, the amount that conservatives think about children and what they could be doing with their genitals is disturbing to me. But then they don't think about like the Catholic Church and stuff. It's so wild. Frankly, on Twitter, I saw more women who we have been subjected to like smaller and smaller bikini bottoms who were just happy that there was a bathing suit that could fit everything they have going on there. Sure. But I believe that item has since been removed from Target. They basically, Target responded to this by moving the pride display to the back of the store by removing certain items, although I'm unclear, not all of them, but certain things. I think the most controversial ones. And I just like don't really get it because it's like, if the pride display is in the front of the store, isn't that where the security guard is? Like they moved these displays and removed these products because they said that their sales associates were getting harassed. But it's like, shouldn't the security guard be able to throw those people out because they're standing like right there? This is true. I mean, well, one, these conservatives are just doing it for content. But two, I thought you were making the point that this actually helps young queer people that they could steal it more easily now that it's in the back and there's no security <laughs> guard looking at them. So look on the bright side, Chell. Uh, this just proves what we already know. Corporations are not our allies. They want to virtue signal during pride, but they don't actually want to walk the walk and really stand by that message in any substantial way. But like maybe not all corporations, like Mac, for example, that is a corporation that is also an ally. Like they've raised like half a billion dollars for AIDS research. So it's possible. It's just, I don't know if Target really qualifies as one of those companies, although it is certainly beloved by gay people. That's what these like unhinged conservative people need to realize Target is inherently gay. <laughs> if you're like cishet MAGA vibes, like shop at Walmart. Like that's your store. Like Target is like our store. I know, but Target has a deal with uh, Magnolia Kitchen. That's where they have the Chip and Joanna Gaines merch. So, <laughs> okay, okay. So that's that's it. I don't know. I've always thought that Target was kind of gay, I think, because like they have a more refined aesthetic in their advertising some of their earliest collaborations were like Steven Sprouse, Isaac Mizrahi. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of gay men like love that homeware section. Target, you don't say. <laughs> this is the part that I don't understand, whether it's Balenciaga or Target. These people aren't Satanists. They don't have an agenda. Well, they do, but their only agenda is to make money. They only have this pride theme merch <laughs> because they saw that it sells well and they could make more money in Q3 for their investors. That's the only reason this is happening. Ugh. 
And the only reason they took it down is because conservatives made a big stink about it that then got national attention. And Target is just scared that their shares are going to go down and investors are going to be happy. It's as simple as that. And this is also, of course, happening in the wake of the Bud Light shit, which is just so dark and twisted. From what I understand, that wasn't a collab with Dylan Mulvaney. They just sent her a branded Bud Light can as Spawn. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what they do for influencers. People are crazy. The fact that Caitlyn Jenner jumped in on that bandwagon is so dark, depraved, and unforgivable, in my opinion. I have some celesbian news. Ooh, tell me. So Beanie Feldstein got married to her soft butch girlfriend. Their wedding looked very cute. Did you see the photos? Of course. Outfits by Gucci. I liked her wedding dress, but I actually thought the... Like, very frou-frou Rodarte dress that she wore to her rehearsal was, like, even more cunt. Here's also a trend I'm seeing in bridal wear is, you are correct, it used to be the reception dress was kind of better than the ceremony dress. Now we're, like, really dressing up for the rehearsal, and it's like, just wear that dress. That dress is better. She looked great. Um, And it looked very cute, like, they had their wedding in some, like, summer camp-type setting in Hudson Valley. I was very happy to see Sarah Paulson, her co-star from um, Impeachment, and uh, Holland Taylor. Love that. Are they your celesbian couple goals, Holland Taylor and Sarah Paulson? I think they're the most major. But you know what? We have some new up-and-coming celesbian couples that really, really delight me. First of all, Jenna Lyons and Cass Bird, who are now Instagram official. Whoa. This makes total sense to me because they're both like... They both work in the fashion industry. They're both glamorous but down-to-earth. They're both like embracing gray but in a fashiony way and they both have kids so i can just i can see this it makes sense i just wonder if we're gonna see Cass on the real housewives god i hope so probably not season one because that's already in the can but hopefully if they get a season two yeah also another really important new celesbian couple is lily rose depp in 070 shake who is a rapper and kalani's ex This is like an extremely hot couple, very, very into this. There's like a very, very cute video that has gone viral on TikTok that I'm sure you've seen. Yeah, when she landed back from Cannes at the airport and she hugs her. Yeah, that's where lesbians are at their most extra when they're like meeting their partner at the airport. Oh, I know. I've seen several videos of either (laughs) Tat greeting you or you greeting tat well to be fair we were long distance for almost two years so so yours was justified yes onward to some fashion news oh sure so apple introduced its very minority report-esque apple vision pro headset we've all seen it yes So I want to know, what do you think about it, like, from a fashion standpoint? We've been trying to make these kind of 3D VR goggles work since the 90s. We have not innovated the design. It didn't fuck then. It doesn't fuck now. It will never fuck. (laughs) It will never fuck unless you get Demna to, to put his spin on this product. When you look at it, like, from a frontal standpoint, It is not dissimilar from a pair of Rick Owens or Balenciaga sunglasses. However, 
once you turn to the side, it becomes very sharper image. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing is those 3D goggles, whatever you want to call them. Apple is calling it this the era of spatial computing, which we'll get into what these actually are in a second. But they all look like snowboarder goggles. And yeah. I don't want to snowboard. I don't want to adopt that aesthetic. I don't either. But design-wise, they're kind of like, I wouldn't say they're like the ugliest thing in the world. It's kind of neutral. Like, I feel the same way about an Apple Watch. Like, to right. me, it's very neutral. It's not fashion, but it's not bad. It just is if these were some vr goggles that would be one thing but it is just your phone or your computer in your eyeballs but you have to put your goggles on and yet you're still in your shitty home like it doesn't even it's not even like oh you can just scroll on your phone or your ipad but you can design a beautiful aesthetically pleasing home so you can forget about the shitty apartment you live in it's like no it's just your home <laughs> Yeah, I'm still in my shitty apartment. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> okay, well, one thing I foresee as being the most dark and sinister aspect of these goggles is, okay, remember that scene in Minority Report? Chelsea's favorite film, by the way. I love Minority <laughs> Report. How Tom Cruise just, like, sits around his apartment doing drugs and watching, like, hyper-realistic 3D videos that he took of his child who was abducted and is presumably dead. And I just imagine people like sitting in their apartments, just watching these like videos of their like exes or their like dead parents and just like not leaving the house and like getting super dark and depressed and like living in this like fucked up like reality. Yeah, I guess that is the the sadder conclusion to using these Vision Pro goggles. You know what it doesn't include this this future of using this is porn. What do you mean? You can't, can't you see any website on like a giant screen? I don't know, but the only reason that a person would use something like this is so that you can masturbate without having to hold your phone or your laptop. <laughs> I think you'll be able to do that, Lauren. Will you? Yes. You can go to any website. They're not going to say, like, you can't go to Pornhub. Like, there's not, like, some big error message is just going to, like, come into your field of vision. Oh, Maddie Healy is going to love this. Oh, God. Do we buy this as a company expense? They're, like, four grand. You you know your dad yeah. is already just going to buy one and will borrow his. What the fuck are you talking about? That's true. Andy is an early adopter of everything. The problem with this is that it isn't cheaper. And I'm sure it's obviously, like, an extremely technologically advanced. And, like, I understand why it's $3,500. But that is very cost prohibitive for the average person. Like, you still have to have a computer if you're going to type anything. Yeah. How annoying are people going to be on the subways now? I do like the fact that when you FaceTime someone, it's like they've removed the goggles from your <laughs> face so you don't look like a complete asshole. And it's just some weird, like, half real, half CGI, like, version of your I face. I just don't understand the point of it. I totally understand the appeal of like watching a huge screen, which is basically what this offers. Like we all can have that giant like TV that Kim Kardashian has in her house that basically takes up an entire wall. Like that's the appeal of this, but it's a solitary experience. 
which is what ruins it for me. Cause it's like, I mean, I usually watch TV with someone. We're not going to both sit there with our goggles. It just feels like combining the experience of watching television and being in a deprivation tank. Why can't Apple just make a television? That was the rumor for the longest time. Everyone would buy that television. Yeah. We already all have Apple TVs. It's like they don't want to make the actual things that we need. Like they'll never make a printer, for example. I understand that we don't use as much paper as we once did, but still it's like we still have to print shit out. And scan it. And printers still do not work. It is one of those things that just like kind of like in-flight Wi-Fi, they've (laughs) never figured it out. Like no one's ever figured it out. They could if they wanted to. The other thing that was a big rumor with like Apple nerds was that they were going to make a car, which is like, I don't need that either. Hey, guess what? I just need cars to actually have an apparatus to hold my fucking phone. Yeah. So it doesn't fall in between the seats when I have it plugged in. Well, the craziest thing, it's like we really, I mean, apart from Severance, did not need them to make television shows. Like stop making television shows before you're making a literal TV. That's what Chelsea is saying. (sighs) Anyway, in other news, Edward Enenfoll is no longer at British Vogue. He is going to be an editorial advisor for British Vogue and global creative and cultural advisor for Vogue. So there's two takes to this story, one of which is he's climbing the corporate ladder. The other take is that Anna Wintour basically ruined his chances and hemmed him in so much at British Vogue that he left his post and that it is clear that he won't be taking over her role as editor-in-chief of American Vogue. Well, I think it's possible that he did see British Vogue as a stepping stone to American Vogue as Anna saw it. And, you know, at some point he realized like, oh, she's not going to retire anytime soon. And like, why would she? You know, Vogue is basically her child at this point. But I think it's more likely that he was just like sort of wanted to cash in like, With being the editor-in-chief of British Vogue, obviously that's a very prestigious job in the fashion industry, but he's not making the millions that he could be making if he was just styling ad jobs or if he just got a job working for Google or Apple or something like that. Even though that job is one of the few fashion industry jobs that still has like what I would describe as extreme perks... It's still not that lucrative compared to what he could be doing. And with this job, he's still like, he's still connected to the Vogue universe. So whenever Anna does want to retire, they could bring him back in because he still is working for Condé Nast. I think that like just saying, oh, it's due to some you know, cat fight between him and Anna Wintour is kind of the most predictable narrative. Well, the reason that this is gaining traction is it's not like this came from Twitter or page six. It's the the Sunday Times, the UK Sunday Times, of which uh, you are now pay for <laughs> these articles. Wait, I have to call them? <laughs> they All they say is contact customer service. I took that as Okay, call. so I have to send an email. I have to send an email. Come on. I don't have to call anyone. I don't know. Some British person picks up on the other line. Cheerio. And like tries to convince me not to cancel my subscription. Yes. 
the UK Sunday Times ran a whole story speaking to sources that Enfold felt that he was a shoe-in to take over American Vogue in only a few years as Anna Wintour was getting up there and she did not appreciate that and made it clear and so he left. But the problem with that narrative is he's still involved at Condé Nast. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does. Also, there's rumors that he's optioning his book right now, which makes total sense. And I'm sure if that's the case, Oprah is like producing it or something. So hopefully that will happen. Yeah, the the editor to Hollywood mogul Pipeline. So we've watched some really dark movies lately, movies about complicated women who have a deep desire for fame. Shall we start with maybe the most disturbing one, which is Sick of Myself? I would say that Sick of Myself is basically Triangle of Sadness meets Cronenberg's The Fly. It's a Norwegian film. It's set in Oslo. It's about this woman that can't handle the fact that her boyfriend is like a marginally successful artist. He has found recent fame in the art world because of his sculptures that are made out of stolen furniture. And he's like starting to get press and attention and she can't handle it. So she decides to like take this recalled medication that gives you a terrible skin disease so she can get attention because she has this skin disease. So she has Munchausen, but the Munchausen is like aggravated by Instagram, kind of. Yes, and in the process of doing this, she becomes a world-famous model. We first became (laughs) aware of this film when we went to the Miami Film Festival and it was playing. We missed it because it was the night we were flying in, but we were both captivated by the poster, which is of a girl, the lead character, whose face is covered in bandages. She's wearing sunglasses, sitting in a wheelchair, smoking outside. And we both were like, that's probably our shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a movie I watched solely based on the poster. And I'm glad I did. I thought it was great. I've been thinking about it a lot. It's so disturbing because it, it really speaks to how much external validation we all need. And also it's a very like grotesque, exaggerated version of a phenomenon that I've seen online, which is people posting cryptic Instagram stories of themselves, like obviously in hospitals, or perhaps it's like a close-up of a hospital bracelet with no context. And then you DM them, you're like, oh my God, are you okay? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, getting my wisdom teeth out. It's like, bitch, like, you're acting like you're getting a hysterectomy. Or it's like, well, I never said anything. It's like, okay, but what am I supposed to think when you're taking a photo in the hospital? I go to the worst place. Yeah, so it's like the idea of, like, exaggerating a medical condition to get sympathy on the internet or not just to get sympathy, but to kind of create intrigue in a weird way. That is such a thing. Also, I feel like a lot of like Instagram girls like are into like a medical aesthetic. Like they want to look like Selena Gomez in that Petra Collins photo. They want to be a little ill. Yeah, we were all influenced by that Steven Mizell photo shoot about plastic surgery. And that, that, and then also the one where he recreated Girl Interrupted. Yeah, and the Helmut Newton photos of Nadia Auerman in that like leg brace. Yeah. So the main character has 
Munchausen, but also to keep getting that contact high of validation and attention, she rapidly becomes a pathological liar, which, have you ever been friends with a pathological liar? Yes. I have as well. It reminded me of someone I knew in college, and it's very bizarre because... Because they lie about things that don't matter is like the darkest part of it. It's not like big things. It's like minor details. In my case with the person that I knew in college, it was easy to figure out. Like the first two things would be true, but then she would add a detail where it's like, well, that clearly did not happen. Yeah. One other thing that I think is interesting about this movie is that it really captures the current landscape of Scandinavian design in a way that I've never seen in a film. <laughs> and granted, I'm not seeing that many Scandinavian films, but it's like the interiors in this movie, the fashion, it's like what I see on Instagram. We have not spoken about the fashion designer who was obsessed with people that have maladies or ailments and like that's her thing i mean it does a really good job of satirizing the fashion industry and like quote unquote inclusive casting practices that are very like obviously tokeny i think it's one of the best examples of a commentary on our attention economy but also kind of in a way, putting it in a genre film. Like, because it, it becomes body horror towards the end of the film. Yeah, and I want to warn people, like, this is a hard to watch at times. Like, if you don't want to see someone vomiting blood, like, do not watch this movie. It's very, very gross. But I think all of that really, really worked. And the the funniest thing about it is that it's like, a lot of it was done for comedic effect. As horrifying as it is, it is ultimately a satire, a black comedy. Loved it. Would recommend. Great double feature with the idol. Yes. Uh, on to, see, I think the Anna Nicole Smith documentary, that might even be spookier than Sick of Myself. Oh, yeah. Don't watch these two back to back. Don't watch Sick of Myself and then the Anna Nicole documentary, which is the darkest shit I've ever seen. I don't know. I didn't love this. I felt that it just reinforced the narrative that she was a gluttonous gold digging whore, I guess, and didn't really dig in deeper to really explore who she was as a person. I feel like in this era where we're getting things like the Pamela Anderson documentary, the Brooke Shields documentary, it just surprised me to see a film like this. It was very surface level. It felt more like not even a true Hollywood story, but those like A&E 45 minute biographies, although it's a two hour documentary. Yeah. Also, the thing that made me not trust it was the people that were interviewed for the documentary, which is like her uncle by marriage like that's the closest person you could find to her that was willing to talk to these filmmakers you know it was very like sketchy well there was her former bff who casually reveals that they had a lesbian affair the first time they went to los angeles she obviously did have a more substantial relationship with anna but there was no one that had a relationship with her. It was like what her security guard was the other person that was interviewed. Baby girl. Yeah. None of the key players were involved. Yeah. If you're going to do a documentary about Anna Nicole Smith and Howard K. Stern is not interviewed, I don't want it. Yeah. If Howard K. Stern is saying no, 
then there's a problem. However, there were a couple of revelations in it. The first of which is, I feel dumb. I never gave it a second thought that Anna Nicole Smith was not her real name. Yeah, her name's Vicky Lynn. How did you not know? Okay, well, I'm a huge, full disclosure, I'm a huge Anna Nicole fan. I've always been, I've always been obsessed with her. I remember where I was when she died, which was that Barnes and Noble on Fifth Avenue where we used to have to go and buy our textbooks. Oh, yeah. That's what I was doing when I heard the news. Also, wasn't there a disturbing photo of her before she died, like collapsed in the hard rock or something? I remember that. Yeah, I think there were photos that they could have included that were more depraved. Um, That said... One thing about this documentary that I liked is there are a lot of incredible photos of her in it, including some lesser known images. Yeah, I think the other revelation for me, and maybe you knew this as a Anne Nicole Smith head, but I didn't realize that she had been taking pills before she ever got to Hollywood. It was prompted because of a, a breast augmentation that she had gotten. Yeah. So, so sad. So sad. And that her drug of choice was methadone? I, uh, I know. It's, it's really, really fucking dark. And, you know, everything that happened with her son, I mean, that's like an incomprehensibly fucked up situation. Because basically, she gives birth to a baby, and then her 20-year-old son comes to meet the baby and then dies of an overdose in the hospital. And then Anna died, like, what, like five months later or something of an overdose? I'm rarely a person that's, like, trigger warning. I kind of roll my eyes with that. But, like, true trigger warning with this because it goes to places where you're like, fucking what? Her half-brother is interviewed. When she finds fame in Hollywood, she has a private investigator find her father. Oh, God. Because she, she never knew him. And then it is revealed that he tried to have sex with her. And the half-brother, like, the producer tells the half-brother this in his interview. By the way, before he's told this, he's like, oh, yeah, my father's a bad man and has raped a lot of people. And then they tell the half-brother this, and he doubts it for a second and then just goes, yeah, that sounds like him. Uh, Yeah, it was really heartbreaking. The other thing I find wholly odd about the documentary is... They talk about Daniel's death. They talk about Anna Nicole's death. And then they just go into this aside about how her friend Missy, the one that she has the lesbian affair with, is watching an interview that Anna Nicole did talking about her mom and how her mom beat her and let her be sexually assaulted by men. And Missy's like, that didn't happen to her. That's my life story that I told her. Yeah, that's really fucking dark. And then the documentary ends, and you're like, um, okay? Also, do you remember those fucked up guest billboards? The ones with Anna Nicole from last year? Yeah. Yeah, so fucked up. They basically repurposed her old guest campaigns, and then there was just the text that said, did you miss me? It's like, yeah, I fucking miss you. Like, she's dead. Like, it was in such poor taste. The fact that they're actually using this to sell their, like, ugly-ass jeans is, like, so despicable. And they did a whole capsule collection using the images that also said, did you miss me? It's like, who's buying this? Like, what psychopath? If not me, then who? So you didn't cop the collection is what you're saying. I refuse to cop. 
no. Did not cop. So we highly recommend Sick of Myself and a Nicole Doc watch at your own risk. Yeah. So we're basically at the end of the podcast, which means there's only one thing left to talk about. Let's play the theme. Kardash, a Holics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. How are you feeling about this season, Chell, of the Kardashians? I love this season. To be fair, I'm not sure what I watched because I did watch the last episode at like 2 a.m. last night. So it feels like a fever dream. But what are your thoughts? We haven't recapped episode two and episode three. I mean, there's not much that happens in episode two. I think the most interesting thing is that Scott, Chloe, and Kim talk about the criticism of season two of the Kardashians, where Kim is like, <laughs> well, they say that I won't talk about my relationship and Pete doesn't want to film and like Kanye won't film either. It's like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that you won't even mention Kanye's tweets on season two of the Kardashians. Right. But she has come a long way. And I like that they are addressing the criticisms of the show within the show. That's insane. But I'm into it. That is the strongest part of Latter Day keeping up and now the Kardashians is the breaking of the fourth wall and the acknowledgement of this is a reality show. Yeah. I continue to enjoy this Dolce and Gabbana narrative that is pitting Courtney against Kim. Yeah, it seems like the next episode is where the stuff we really want to get into will kick off. But I just want to say the idea of Domenico Dolce and Calabasas just makes me laugh. <laughs> They're all besties. Um, what else happened in that episode? I guess we haven't talked about the fact that Scott is back in a big way this season, which is nice. Yeah. We did get a Sex in the City reference. In episode three. Love a straight man that loves sex in the city. But does Kim need her Mr. Big? And was that not Kanye? Well, she needs a new Mr. Big. No, Kanye is not Mr. Big. But she did reveal that she has been, you know, dating people on the sly, I guess. And also kind of hinted at that relationship with Pete wasn't that serious, but it was the media that made it more serious than it was. Which makes sense. And then also the fact that Kim says she has sex with the lights off, which I don't really believe. I believe it. It's just upsetting. Like, what's the point of working out for two hours a day? I agree with you. Like, she's crazy for that. Um, Chloe, what's happening with Chloe? She's still trying to bond with her son. I mean, she she's very real for showing the side of this. Yeah, she is. The thing on her face wasn't cancerous, but she has a scar. Which we knew. She says that she's like not with Tristan at this point anyway, but we don't know because this was filmed so long ago. Well, it's clearly September because Courtney and Kendall and then Chris are in New York for Fashion Week, which I completely forgot that Courtney was the sustainability director for fast fashion label Boohoo. <laughs> I forgot about that too. There's not really much to these two episodes. I think kind of the funniest part from this episode is Kim and Scott trying to have a serious conversation while North puts prosthetics on her face. Oh yeah, she got like a Ryan Tricartan makeover. That I thought was very funny. That was good. That was the highlight of the episode. And then my question for you is the episode ends with Kim getting to Milan and putting on the Dolce show and her stylist didn't make it because she forgot her passport. But the way that Kim is talking about it and the way we know Kim travels is by private jet. 
And she's telling her assistants and telling Tracy Romulus, can we get her passport to Milan? Which says to me that the stylist was able to get on the private jet, landed in Milan, and then realized she didn't have her passport. That had to be what happened. Also, it's like, Kim, FaceTime your stylist. Yeah. Well, I don't think that. I think that kind of ruins a bit of the tension. But yeah, it seems like next week is when it's really going to kick off the the beginning of the Courtney and Kim Dolce and Gabbana sponsored feud. I'm hyped for that. Anyway, um, we both have to go. I have to hit the road. You have to hit the road. I got to go back to an editing session. Guys, we're busy ladies. But we will be back next week as always. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. See you next week.